Let's take a copy of God's Word in hand. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. You could turn there if you're using your own Bible too. But if you're using a Pew Bible, we'll be on page 835. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Now this year, our faith focus, we're considering uh, to glorify and enjoy Christ. Under that, as Pastor Jason laid out, there are three pillars uh, that this church has been about, is about, and will be about. And that is proclaiming Christ, growing in Christ, and advancing the mission of Christ. And then, if you could imagine it, those three pillars, and under that third pillar, advancing the mission of Christ, there are three more emphasis. There'll be church planning, our fellowship program, and our campus ministry are ways that we are seeking to advance the mission of Christ in our day. So my assignment tonight is to consider uh, how we or feel called to advance the mission of Christ in the work of church planting. So that's why I'm taking this Matthew chapter 28. You know, 2022 was a big year uh, for me here in East Lansing. Um, it was a very exciting year. Um, not for, uh, well... I gotta be honest, it was because a certain fried chicken place opened on the corner of Grand Avenue across from Michigan State University. And there was a place that was started in Baton Rouge. And for the last five years, it's been really far away from being able to drive through a drive through and pick up some raising canes. And so this has been an exciting year. Um, pray for me. Um, because it also could be an exciting year for Dockers, as I will keep needing to get more and more Dockers if I keep returning to Raising Canes. Um, someone who is not familiar with the mission of the church, the function of the church, they may hear the idea of church expansion and church planting, and they may think, oh, this is just like a new Chick-fil-A, expanding their franchise and their territory, coming to a new area, or another buddies opening up somewhere else in Michigan or whatever, another retail store. Um, but it's so much more than that. It is eternal consequence that the church would expand and that the mission of Christ would advance in the world through church planning. It's not just another franchise of URC that we are seeking to open in Mount Pleasant. It's not just another branch of the United Way. That the church is the outpost of the kingdom of God, and it is the center of God's saving activity in this fallen world. And it is at the core of the great commission that Christ gave to his disciples. So that's what I want to remind us of tonight. I was racking my brain to think of where do you go to preach a sermon on church planning? And it is the Great Commission. It is Matthew 
28, 18 through 20. And I want us to see how that, to be faithful to the Great Commission, the Great Commission is more than church planning, but it requires church planning. So before I read our passage for us tonight, uh, let us pray and ask for God's help. Our Heavenly Father, this is your word, and in it we learn of the mission that you sent your son Jesus on to save sinners, and how that mission continues today. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, enlarge our faith as we look to your word. Feed our souls, empower us by your spirit to be your ambassadors in our day. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask, amen. Hear the word of God from Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. That ends this reading of God's holy and inspired and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Three truths that I want you to see from these verses. We won't cover everything in these verses. The first is that God accomplishes his global mission through disciples making disciples. God accomplishes his global mission through disciples making disciples. That's the first thing. The second thing, making disciples requires gathering converts into local churches. Making disciples requires gathering converts into local churches. And the third point from this passage for us this evening, Christ advances the mission of Christ. Christ advances the mission of Christ. Uh, I would encourage you to grab a pen and paper out of the P-Rack or your notepad. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture references. I'll read them for you. You may want to jot them down. As we go along, first, God accomplishes his global mission through disciples making disciples. Jesus' commission to his apostles and to his disciples and to the church is make disciples of all nations. The main instruction, the main command of the Great Commission is to make disciples of who? Of the nations. Jesus is pulling his people into God's global mission into his plan. What do I mean by God's mission? It's God's work of saving sinners. In the course of history, we see God working out this mission in several ways, in preparing the way for his son to come to be the savior of sinners. We see this mission being worked out in the sending of the son to be the savior, and in God seeking the lost. God has always had a global mission in view. All right, we can start in Genesis, and we see it runs all the way through the Bible to Revelation. Remember what 
God told Abraham. As God is calling one man into a covenant relationship with him, he always has a view beyond Abraham, beyond his family. He has a view of the whole fallen world. So, in Genesis 12, verse 2, what did, when God first calls Abraham, what does he tell him? I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. That the nation that will come from you, Abraham, will be a blessing to other nations. Then, Genesis 15, 5, look toward heaven and the number of the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham comes to God and says, God, you told me I would be a great nation that would bless the nations of the world. I, I don't have this promised son. I, there is one of my servants would be the heir of my household. And God says, I will multiply you as the stars. And then later again in Genesis 22, 17, the Lord says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. From the very beginning, God keeps lifting Abraham's eyes up, says, look beyond yourself and from you, I'm going to have many descendants so your people will be a blessing to the nations, and they will be many. Then, so that's the kind of the, you could say, the Genesis, because it's in Genesis, and then in Revelation at the end, we get a glimpse of this global mission as it is accomplished. God's global mission will succeed. So Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so here, this nation that would be a blessing and this multitude of descendants, now we see what God was doing. That through Abraham would come the Savior and that the multiplication of his descendants would come through that Savior, all and anyone from tribe, tongue, language. As Jason said it this morning, the gospel message goes out to the whole world. And it's a gospel message that, and this was, this was the, the line that I, I took home was, it saves the cannibal and the vegan. What a great one. The cannibal and the vegan come to be descendants of Abraham through Christ, there before the throne, washed in white robes, justified by the blood of the Lamb palm branches in their hands, a sign of victory that they have conquered Satan through their Savior. 
crying aloud, worshiping for God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Innumerable. Meaning that by the human eye, this multitude is so vast. Heaven is so full that we can't count it. God knows. God knows the number, but to the human eye, it seems something that cannot be counted. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not full to f- slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord knows all who will come into the family of Abraham by faith and who will be before the throne of God one day, white robes, waving palm branches of victory. And Peter says, Jesus hasn't returned yet because that innumerable multitude has not been filled up yet. Now the the vision for church planning begins with maybe a bigger vision of heaven for some of us. The way is narrow and few that find it. But when you talk about centuries and centuries and centuries of people coming in through the narrow gate, the, the intent is that the narrow gate leads to a really big party at the end of history where the salvation of the Lord is being celebrated. It's a global vision. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Heaven is still being populated. And we labor the point even further to say, why does God have this global mission? The Bible tells us why God has this global mission. You may not need to write down this verse reference. You'll remember it. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That verse is so familiar to us, but if you were to read John's gospel for the first time, if you could start over and start from scratch, it would be shocking. This is the first use of the word love in John's gospel. And what's shocking about it is not how big the world is that God loves, but how bad the world is that God has set his love on sinners across this globe. talks about the nature of God's love here in this verse. How did God demonstrate his love? By sending his son. What was the degree of this love? To what degree does he love? Well, he gave his son. It's the language of, of the son being offered up as a substitute for sinners, as the sacrifice in the place of sinners from across this world. The Great Commission always pushes us to look beyond our immediate community and out to the world that God loves. When we see the world as our God does, we desire to see the gospel spread to all peoples and all places. It brings me a level of happiness that you get to now, if you so desire, to go 
and get some raisin canes and some chicken tenders and some fries and some cane sauce. How much more so than when the gospel spreads and sinners are rescued? Again, as Jason alluded to earlier, from Timbuktu to Paris to every corner of the globe. Look out and see the world that God loves has numbered his elect and the vision of heaven in Revelation is that that is a large innumerable multitude that is still being brought in. Always looking beyond our immediate community. Then the second thing here is that making disciples requires gathering converts into local churches. The main instruction is to make disciples. Disciples, there are two subordinate instructions. So how do disciples make disciples? Uh, two A's, baptizing and teaching. And it is a good reminder that baptizing and teaching are both tied to the ministry of the local church. Though it has been our tendency in recent history in the church to not necessarily see the Great Commission as being something as the activity of the local church. We see the Great Commission as something that can be done outside the church. But here Jesus is showing us that it is the activity of the church. It's not the activity of parachurch ministries that are to be out evangelizing and then they do the evangelizing part and then somehow, hopefully, maybe they find their way into a, a local church because that would be a good thing. But the main thing is that people make a decision for Christ and then possibly find their way into a church. Jesus would lead us to see it differently that the Great Commission and the evangelistic charge that is embedded into it is intended to be the ministry of local churches. Let me show you. We're commanded to baptize. And that's, that's loaded. Baptism, the sacrament of baptism, represents wonderful gospel truth and varied gospel truth. It represents the washing away of sins. It represents the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It represents being united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. And that is crucial to understanding the sign and seal. What is signified in baptism is not just the washing of our sins. It is also that by the work of the Spirit, you are united to Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 13. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we're all made to drink of one spirit. So the outward physical sign represents an inward spiritual reality. Water baptism points us to spirit baptism. And what is spirit baptism? What does it say there? We're baptized into 
the body of Christ. So when someone is baptized, it is a sign of their membership in the covenant community. Baptism does not exist outside of the church. We are baptized into the body. And that's why a profession of faith and baptism is tied to church membership. I was having an online discussion a couple years back with a, a pastor, and he was ministering in a, in a very progressive community. And I, I commended his approach in a lot of ways where he was very patient and unchurched, uh, just completely, uh, there was no Christian background, and so he's, he's meeting people from all sorts of different, uh, coming from different places. And so they're bringing a, a lot of baggage into church. And he's trying to be sensitive to this. And so he was finding that, that people were, were kind of incrementally becoming disciples of Christ. And so that as they, they were taking steps, baby steps, baby steps, and it was, it was good. Um, but... What concerned me and what, what I, I challenged him on was that he would allow someone to come before the church and make a profession of faith and then even to be baptized, but he would not require that they would become a member of the church. And his reasoning was, well, they still got a lot of stuff we're working on in their life. And immediately, if some of these people joined into the became a member of the church upon baptism, then we'd have to enter into church discipline with them <laughs> from, from the beginning. And you appreciate the shepherd's heart, you appreciate the evangelistic zeal, but it's wrong. You're not just baptized independently. You're baptized into something, into the body. There can be no making of disciples without the local church. It's also teaching. I think teaching may be the more, more obvious one that we would see that the church becomes the hub, the center, the place in which we are instructed in the faith. But let me remind you, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says, And he gave, that's Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That Christ gave teachers the work and office of teacher for the purpose of equipping all of the body for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. And then we see in Titus 1.9, and then we also see this in the other pastoral epistles, that teaching and the work of teaching is tied to the leadership of the church. That the elders of the church must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, Titus 1.9, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So when Jesus says, go out, make disciples, and teach, he has in view in the New Testament, I, I, I got to be honest, I don't think he has in view independent teaching ministries as being the way that the Great Commission would be fulfilled. We're greatly blessed by different ministries and those sorts of organizations and receive from them, 
benefit from them, but the primary place is to be within a local church where God gives pastors and teachers and elders who then equip the saints to then disciple children, neighbors, teach others, lead small groups, lead Bible studies. As Tim Keller has put it, the great evangelistic challenge of the New Testament are basically calls to plant churches, not simply to share the faith. And this is what the apostles understood their charge was from Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up to preach. They baptize a bunch of people, and then they bring them into the community. They, they don't just baptize them, send them, send them back. It says in Acts 2, 41 through 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then from there, what do they do? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon everyone's soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions. And it goes on, the Lord added to their number day by day. Again, Tim Keller says, baptism means incorporation into the worshiping community with accountability and boundaries. Jesus' first disciples understood the Great Commission to be a charge to go and gather sinners, convert them to Christ, and start churches. The church... We are committed to international church planning. The missionaries that we support, not all themselves will be pastors and teachers and church planters. But in their work of mercy and other ministry, they are supporting the work of church planting. We are committed to domestic church planting. And doing so, as we heard discussed just earlier in the interview, we are asking the Lord to lead us to recognize strategic and underserved communities nearby. That as our eyes are lifted beyond our immediate connections, recognizing the Savior's love for a fallen world, we're asking that the Lord would lead us to what would be strategic, underserved communities, meaning that there's not enough gospel proclamation going on in this particular region, and this region is strategic, not necessarily because of being its density and population, but for instance, with Mount Pleasant, there being a university there. It is the county seat of Isabella County. It is the place I, I loved hearing Devin talk about growing up. When they would go do Christmas shopping, they'd go to the big city. You know, some of you, that means hop on a flight and go to New York. For the Rossmans, it was go to Mount Pleasant. But it's strategic. It is a regional hub through which a faithful, gospel-proclaiming, reformed and Presbyterian church would serve a region. It is a rural region, but it is strategic, and it is an underserved community. 
And along those lines, the elders here at URC are seeking the Lord that we might do that two other times. So a total of three times in the next half decade. Doesn't mean that all these churches will be completely particularized, but that to begin these works, three over the next five years, including Mount Pleasant. Now, what could be your role? It doesn't mean that every Christian in every church will play the same role in church planning. That there may be churches uh, that their role is the supporting of missionaries and international church planning. There may be Christians who have a sense of call to be involved with international or domestic church planning. Each of us can do a couple things. The first is that uh, we pray for revival in our own congregation, that the Lord would continue to grow us in number so that we can send out. We pray for revitalization in churches across Michigan. Because, as Jason alluded to earlier, it's too much for just one church to be responsible for doing all the church planning. As a connectional church, we partner with other local churches. And so we need other local churches to be healthy and growing and doing the Great Commission work in their own community and then ready to go beyond and partner together with other churches. And so pray for revitalization. Continue to pray for the work that, that we have sent and asked Andrew Cheesebro to do in Brighton with Pathway. There's a church that was planted who then has needed support and encouragement and revitalization. Pray for Jerry Grotho and Brad Beals as elders who we have asked to go help in that revitalization work. More churches that are healthy and growing means that they are able to help reproduce and multiply in the region. So we pray for revitalization of existing churches. We also should, I would encourage you, grab a map of Michigan and begin praying over that map. And just do an exercise. Start marking dots where you know where there are faithful gospel-proclaiming churches. And start asking God, where should we go next? And have that map of Michigan open, maybe fold it in your Bible, and often look at it. And as you're praying over that map, then the third thing that each of us can do, say, God, would you ask me to go? Would you ask me to go? This is a precious congregation. We love URC. It would come at great sacrifice and expense to uproot your family from being a part of a church like this. But God, would you ask us to move to Mount Pleasant, to move to somewhere else and be part of a team, support a great commission work in that way. God, would you redirect my ambitions for my career and I would take a more humble route in order that I might be part of something like rural church planning in Michigan or other things like that. We close with Christ advances the mission of Christ. We close on a note of encouragement 
We are sent by Christ and we go with Christ. As we go for him, he goes with us. There he says at the end, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as you go out making disciples, baptizing and teaching, I'm with you. He's with us in the preached word. Romans 10, 14. Remember it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And then, and how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Remind you, Paul's point here is that the gospel comes and goes and people believe it. And the means by which they come to believe the gospel is that God sends messengers. He sends preachers. And then in this verse, he says, when preachers faithfully preach the gospel, Christ himself is calling sinners to repentance and faith. There's another example of the way that Christ is always with us to the end of the age. You remember when Paul is working in Corinth in Acts chapter 18? What does the Lord tell a discouraged church planner in the Apostle Paul? He's met many obstacles, many challenges along the way. And in Acts 18, verses 9 and 10, the Lord gives Paul a vision and says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. And then, for I have many in this city who are my people. And we shouldn't expect a vision from the Lord in the night, but I think it's good for us to presume understanding his plan from Genesis to Revelation that in every city across the globe there is the Lord's elect who have not come to saving faith yet. And we should go with that presumption. We don't bring Jesus into the fields for harvest. We follow him there. He is the head of the church. He is the church planter. I love this definition of the church from Heidelberg Catechism, question 54, says, I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for Himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And this community, I am and always will be a living member. That's what we believe. That's what we believe the Great Commission is teaching us. That the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers. He is gathering. He is doing the work. Jesus loves sinners. He is seeking and saving the lost. He is gathering sinners into churches. He calls and invites you and I to join him in his mission today. Let's pray.
We have no foundation, oh, our Heavenly Father, other than the one who is our head. He is the foundation of your church. He is the chief apostle. He is the pioneer of our faith. He is the one who has gone before us and tasted death and resurrection. He is the one who goes before us in resurrection power, seeking and saving the lost. We hear the call to be disciple-making disciples. We give thanks that you have blessed us in such a way that we are able to contribute our resources, our time, our prayers to the work that you are doing. Help us that with eyes of faith, see that you are at work. Give us wisdom and direction and leading. Most of all, help us to see the lost as you do. We ask this in Jesus' name.